Welcome to Brillante, the podcast with a French accent which gives a voice to women who move the lines. My name is Jeanne Dussartel, and between Zurich, where I live, and Paris, where I come from, my goal is to meet the sparkling, powerful, talented and inspiring women with a typical backgrounds and beautiful projects, to understand what drives them and makes them move forward. Discussions that I hope will encourage you to think outside the box, cross your boundaries and develop your own brilliant projects. I had this mentality of, okay, I'm older than everybody else. So I had to go to those places where I could learn more than only techniques or like basics, but also the whole concept. Why these places are not only restaurants? Why are they moving the masses? Why are they also involved in politics? Why are they involved in art? Why are they involved in music? Why is not only about putting a plate on the table? She welcomes me in a restaurant like one would welcome a friend at home. I have to say that this new place, the Clay Restaurant, has all the charm of a beautiful apartment in an old and pretty corner house in the heart of the trendy Kreisdrei in Zurich. In less than six months, and despite the coronavirus crisis, its founder, Zizi Hatab, has managed to turn it into one of the restaurants everyone is talking about in Zurich. When she cooks, Zizi pulls her brown curls tight in a high bun. She has a gentle smile and a deep, determined voice. At barely 30, the Spanish-born chef has already had several careers, first as an engineer, before turning to gastronomy. She has lived in Spain, Switzerland, Italy and New York, and has knocked on the door of the world's greatest chefs to learn her new profession. Last year, she radically changed the way she eats and cooks, because clay is what I would describe a discreet, plant-based restaurant. Here, cooking is done without animal products, but while the chef is convinced of the vital need to change the way we eat and consume, the term vegan does not appear clearly in their communication. All the focus is on the quality and the taste of the food as well as the kindness of the team. It's space for everyone. It's enough space for everybody to to shine or be brilliant or brilliant. There's enough space. Women should empower women always. I always think that when you surround yourself with greatness, you become great. So you should empower everybody to be great. In this discussion, Zizi tells me about her childhood and her Spanish and American origins. She tells me about her choice to change her path only one year after she started working as an engineer. She explains her experiences with Andreas Caminada, Massimo Bottura or Daniela Sotoines and explains the mission, influence and responsibility that chefs have today. Together, we talk about her cuisine, but also about feminism and the place of women in this sector still very much male-dominated. Zizi explains me how she did to set up her own restaurant from concept to finance. She also talks about the hub that Zurich is becoming and shares her favorite addresses with me. So for all the lovers of fine food and good wines, those who believe in the richness of different cultures, those who want to understand the world of haute cuisine, or those who want to follow their own dreams, I have one advice. Plug in your headphones and enjoy. Enjoy. 
Zizi. First of all, good morning and many thanks for accepting my invitation and for welcoming me in this beautiful and charming place. I'm very happy to have you on this new project, this podcast that I decided to call Brillante. And to start with, I would like to know what or who are you actually thinking of when you hear this adjective brillante? Do you maybe have an example of a sparkling woman that has been inspiring you in your life? Because many of us have our mothers as sparkling women. My mother took care of all her family. She was she lost her parents very young and she had to take care of six siblings. And there is nothing that can take her down. So I guess that's my role model. Just keep fighting and every day it's a, a new hustle. You have a, a strong relationship to her, with her? Yes. You are still in contact all the time? Yes, I she, do. She lives in Spain? She does. So I miss her very much, but yeah, she's my role model. The Claire restaurant has been a lot in the media lately. There has been many articles, but not only. The Swiss edition of Go Mio, who also just gave you the title of Chef of the Month, published a very nice video focusing on your restaurant, but also your story and your, your person. And I think it's quite a wide movement. Nowadays, chefs are featured on TV shows, their life and recipes are followed on social networks, on Instagram. There is a lot of attraction around your profession and I have the feeling that it keeps growing. Would you actually say that the image of your profession of chefs has been changing over the past few years? I think it has evolved a lot. It has become into a spotlight. I would say 20 years ago, or even 30 years ago, the position of chef was not uh, seen as it is now. It was someone in the back getting the work done and nobody knew who was cooking. And right now, I think chefs have a voice and because we all eat. So it's so basic that it connects everybody. And um, I think the position, like the job, has taken another dimension and another um, visibility. And I think a lot of chefs are doing a great job using these boys for positive reasons. So what, in your opinion, is actually the importance of communication in the gastronomy business today for chefs and restaurants? It's a lot because chefs can connect uh, the people with the farmers, can make people understand what seasons mean. In many countries, I think we lost the connection with the seasonability. Uh, we think everything is available all the time. And I think she, chefs, for us, it's natural to to cook what it's right at the time of the year and the season. And this is something that we can reteach. Like in my home, when I was a child, this was basic in Spain, the Mediterranean diet. This is kind of natural, but in the States and in other countries, this is lost with the industrialization. And I think uh, chefs can help a lot with this. Also with the people who don't have anything to eat and... It's the most basic need. So a lot of chefs have initiatives on how to support and how to use their knowledge and their power to feed the ones that can't. And and what about you? How do you conceive communication? What is maybe your aim for yourself as a chef or for the restaurant, Clay? For me, I found myself in a position in which I am right now on the plant-based dialogue which I wasn't before ever, not even interested. And I'm really comfortable on it and I really believe in it. So 
by coincidence or by a matter of different situations, I found myself in this speech and I think it's the bright side of the future, like to stop the industrial farming and go for a plant-based diet. Okay, so I actually wanted to bring up this topic a little later, but let's go. Can you explain me why you chose to become a vegan? Uh, why did you suddenly change all your way of life and eating? Mm -hmm. And what does it mean for restaurants to be vegan? Yeah. For me, it was... Uh, actually, I had a conversation with a friend. He is also a journalist and he works for Fine Dining Lovers. And he was asking me, like, why do you open a restaurant? Like, for do it in the long way, in the long term. It has to be such a passion and such a, a goal that drives you because it's very exhausting. You spend a lot of hours. It's your life. It's your lifestyle. And I had started thinking about that because, yeah, I love cooking and I love having a nice restaurant, but there has to be something else that drives you. So I started reading a lot about uh, where we get our food from because even if we know our farmers, the majority of people don't get the food from the farmers. No. The majority of people go to the supermarket, the convenience store, and buy everything there. So I started getting more and more into that. I, there are a lot of experts on the field, and the more you know, the more you start letting yourself feel. And once you start feeling, the light is on on the room. You cannot avoid it. So even if I used to eat a lot of cheese every day, and sushi was my favorite food, Right now, I'm not able to, and I don't think I will be able to again. Why do you mean you're not able anymore? Are you disgusted? Or you because I know that uh, we have come to a point where it's not sustainable anymore, and we are really exploding the planet and the animals for no reason, because we could do it in another way. That's not how you learn to cook, though. You learn from some of the greatest and most renowned chefs in the world, who are not known to be vegetarians nor vegans. Um, how did you manage to transform your way of cooking? How did you actually reinvent everything? Well, it was the beginning a struggle. and uh, But I always think that if you work hard, you get it done. And the first step was to tell my team, because uh, I already had the team when I decided to, to change to plant-based and they didn't sign for it <laughs> so I let them know and they were all like actually very happy some of them already are vegetarians and are into the transition so that was the, step, the first step and then start testing and trials and finding other options and just as I always say not cooking thinking about vegan just cooking about food and about taste not having those on the pantry so when I go into my fridge i don't have eggs i don't have milk i have 10 other milks which are not animal products and i don't have uh, meat but i have amazing vegetables and so i just focus on what i have and i think the f the important thing about cooking vegan is to not try to have a fried egg made of something else so you can have a very beautiful bead or a very beautiful salad with tons of nuts and spices and, and tastes much better than a fried egg And I have a question, like, I, I was wondering, to what extent is it acceptable to create a vegan restaurant today? Um, because, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think in some countries, uh, being vegan is more difficult, maybe less accepted. 
for instance, in France, where I come from, being vegetarian is already a challenge. I am myself a vegetarian, or almost. And as soon as I go back to France, I fa I fa I'm facing misunderstandings and even criticism, at least in my surroundings. Um, so I was wondering, what is your perception? Um, do you also think that it might be easier to be vegan or vegetarian here in Switzerland than in other countries? I mean, I'm not an expert. I can talk from my experience. I think it's much easier to be a vegan in India, for example, or in some some places in Asia. My family comes from Morocco, and eating meat it's a luxury. So for festivities, when I show somebody is welcome at your home, you're gonna make a whole chicken, you're gonna make a whole lamb. So I think it's very deep into culture. My family is very respectful and. Uh, also very open and very they list, read a lot and listen what's going on in the world so they understand there is a change but still I don't think they will stop drinking milk because it's my father is 65 and you cannot change like this ah, maybe he does sometimes he tries some oat milk and it's all about getting used to it but I know that it's easier in some places and also because in poor countries Eating meat was believed to be the only way to get your protein and your like. So it goes very deep into our into our education. And I, I think everything is on the schools now, like responsibility, not only with on the food but also on society. Everything is on education, and I do believe in some places it's harder than others, of course. And poverty doesn't help because you just want to eat. Well, speaking of poverty, um, we're just beginning to emerge from the dreadful coronavirus crisis. And of course, it's not over, but still the situation is getting better and restaurants have been allowed to open again. Um, but you, the Clay restaurant, you were just a few weeks old when everything started. And I was wondering, how do you survive such a cataclysm? And what will you take away from this crisis? So how do you survive? Um, you hire a good insurance <laughs> from the beginning. <laughs> This is the time where being uh, conservative about insurance really helped us, everybody who was uh, in this situation. And then we tried different things. The first couple of weeks we did some delivery. And we are lucky to be in a country where the government supports us with Kurzarbeit. So we didn't feel alone at all. Regulations affect us right now. We only have 50% capacity at the restaurant and it's a heavy burden on the numbers. But we are trying to make changes like we have a menu instead of only a la carte. The terrace also helps. And um, yeah, if I don't get paid, I don't care. The important is that the farmers and, the, and my employees get paid and the rent gets paid. So we tried to jiggle and, and see. I mean, we were open for two months and closed for two months. So it was kind of a, a joke for me. But this is, as I say, always this is bigger than us. Corona and the crisis is affecting everybody. So you cannot only think about yourself. You just do what's better for everyone. And what I take out of it is, yeah, surround yourself with people who care about your your place as you do my all my team 
believes in what you're doing, take care of these places they it was their own, and everything is much easier this way because you see the engagement and you see the ownership. So struggle is easier when you have a good team. Uh, since you're talking about your team, can you tell me a bit more? How did you do to put it together? How did you choose the people that are surrounding you today? My team is uh, bigger than when we started now. It has been growing. We have on my right and my left hand are Alessandro and Bernd. Alessandro used to work with me at the Schlossauenstein. He is from Como. He has been in Switzerland for a while and he's one of my best friends. He is the sous chef. And then Bernd, he's in front of the house. Your host? Our host, our smile, our good mood. Um, and he's uh, also has been in Switzerland for a while. So we balance each other. And then we have Lola, who is also with Bern in front of the house. She is half Spanish. And that's why the Spanish is quite present in this restaurant. <laughs> But we, like Alessandro speaks Italian and German. We have Amelie, who is from uh, Great Britain, from London. We have Julia, who is Swiss. We have um, Danieline. She comes from the French part of Switzerland. Miriam, she's from Zurich. So it's, uh, I think we have more women than men. Mm -hmm. But it's not something that I look for. We are 50-50. I always think that balance is the answer for everything. Extremes are not good. But I think for my team, Alessandro and Bernd, it's interesting to work with so many women when they come from conservative places where majority of the kitchen was male. You can see Alessandro sometimes, he's like, oh my God, where am I? Like, <laughs> what, what are we talking about? But it's interesting. I will come back to this very interesting topic a bit later. But first of all, I wanted to come back to your roots and to your childhood, because I think that you have quite an atypical story that might actually help us understand a little bit more who you are. Um, so you were born in Spain in La Costa Brava, and I was wondering, how was it to be born there? It was great. I mean, everybody wants to go there for holidays. So, yeah, it was very good. I um, We were living close to the sea. There is a very high immigration rate in this area. But my parents always pushed us to don't feel different. Because your parents came from Morocco. Morocco? Yeah, my parents both are from Fez in Morocco. My mom was very young when she moved. She was 17 and one year after I got pregnant of my brother. So they have been hustling and struggling, but they teach us that that's the way you get things done, working hard. So it was, sometimes you could feel that you were different because I grew up in a Muslim house. So my food at the school was different than the others. Mm -hmm. But for the rest, um, you get good grades, you perform on sports, <laughs> very typical. You're just supposed to be the best on what you do. And what was your dream back then? What did you want to become? I wanted to be a doctor <laughs> or a veterinarian. I'm not a consistent person. I was changing all the time. So cooking was not the biggest no. topic for you? No. I love to eat, but cooking was, I was not a dream. It's, I was not the kind of person who cooked with the grandmother. And, no, no. And what kind of food were you eating at your family place? I guess it was a mix of Spanish, Moroccan food. Exactly. I mixed a lot of vegetables and very, like very healthy food. My parents have a very healthy lifestyle. They do sports every day, eat very healthy. So that was my also my diet. A lot of veggies, a lot of meat as well. 
So after your happy childhood in Spain, you studied industrial engineering and project management. Uh, you became a software engineer. But almost as soon as your studies were over, you moved to Switzerland. So I was wondering, why did you decide to move to Switzerland? What did this country represent for you? And what was your idea of Switzerland back then? So I finished my studies and I started working as a software developer in Spain. This was 2012, 2011, 2010, I don't know. I'm getting old. Yeah, I graduated 2011. So I started working there. It was the crisis, very low salaries. And um, my current husband was back then my boyfriend already. <laughs> and we started considering leaving to work in other places. So I got a job offer in Germany. He got a job offer in Liechtenstein, which is in the front, in the border with Switzerland. And we decided to, you know, sometimes put it on a scale. And this was the best option. So we started working in Liechtenstein and living in Switzerland. Before. Here in Zurich. No, in Graubünden. We started in St. Gallen, Oberried, under Appenzell. So I didn't know anything about Switzerland. And I, it was not in my plan of life to live in Switzerland. But once I got here, and I was doing a lot of sports back then, so being in the mountains, skiing, and just the whole landscape that you guys have here made me fall in love. And I think it's very similar to Catalan society, like where you get you have to do things right, and everybody's the police. And <laughs> Is it like this in Catalonia? Yes, Catalans, we are very annoying. You work hard, you get things done, you follow the law and the community thought or the kind of that the good for everybody it makes it better. I don't know. It just feels very good here. <laughs> so that's the reason why you decided to come back when you created yeah. your restaurant. Okay. Yes. You you really wanted to come back to Switzerland. Yes. My husband didn't, but I did. Okay. <laughs> because so he really misses Barcelona. You decide. <laughs> yes, but also we did again. We always, when we move, also in New York, before we do a move, we try to have a pros and cons, very typical. We are both engineers, so we do an Excel sheet, we do statistics, and then we decide. <laughs> very rational. <laughs> Super rational. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I should get inspired by this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, New York was quite crazy, but we are very happy we did it. So after... Only one year working as an engineer, but still many years of studies. Uh, you actually changed your plans and decided to move to gastronomy. At the time, I read that you were just cooking for your friends and family. So, I mean, is it enough to quit like this, what you've been studying hard for, and to change completely your plans? What was the click? What made you shift completely like this? Mm, I don't know, I guess... My job was fine. I was thinking, like, I already have the life of a 40-year-old. have a good job, good salary, weekends off, too much stability for my age. So I thought it was the time to give it a try. I had no kids, and my husband supported me also, like, whatever I wanted to do. I think it's important, if you have a partner, that you support each other. Of course, if you're single, you do whatever, but... <laughs> It's hard to do a change like this when you don't have support at home because it's a struggle enough to switch your life from a very stable position to going to another country as a stagiaire 
in a kitchen that you don't even know how to cut an onion properly. You think you do, but you don't. So, yeah. So you knew that engineering wasn't going to be the job of your life? I could have kept it done, doing it. It was fine. I mean, it's just an easy choice to keep doing it. Yeah, I would have had a promotion, probably, and lead the team, and then maybe buy a house. But you were not financially scared. You kind no. of had all the backup that was sufficient. Yeah, I, I saved, and I also know that money comes and goes. I don't care about money. And I know that it's very easy to say, no, because you need money to live. You need money to get food. You need money for surviving, but money comes and goes. My family has been poor, has been good, has been bad. So, yeah, it's not a big thing in my life. So at the end of 2013, you resigned and left your well-paid, stable and comfortable job. How did you feel that day when you resigned? I felt like something else was about to start. I was excited. Also, I'm a human being. I was also like, am I fucking up my life? <laughs> Sorry that I'm very explicit speaking. But as you said, I studied for so many years. I did my thesis. My family was proud. My parents expected me to make a doctor's thesis, so to have a PhD. That was the path, no? But... So, yeah, it was a risk, but it was a mixed feeling. When you do, I think when you do these kind of changes or you take these decisions, you're always kind of, your heart is broken in two. Because I also met beautiful people when I was an engineer. It was, I always say, the best years are when you're at university. So now you, you resigned from your job as an engineer. And what was the first steps? Was it to find a trainee? Was it to find a job? So before I quit, I already organized everything because I was not going to quit without having a plan. <laughs> so You're too rational, though. <laughs> so I already organized a stage in Spain, in Bilbao, from January 2014. At Nerua? Nerua, exactly. Mm -hmm. I can see that you got your, your data. Can you explain me maybe what kind of restaurant is Nerua? And why did you choose this place for your first experience? So Nerua is the restaurant of Jose Analija, and he is a very, very purist chef, very minimalist, and really gets the most of ingredients. And then I wrote his book because my way before to get knowledge was to read a lot of books of chefs. I think you should never stop doing this. But I wrote his book, and it was very interesting, So, and it was my language. So I thought for the first experience in a kitchen, maybe it's better if I understand what they say. So, <laughs> <a> good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I applied there and um, I didn't have any experience, but I always believe that attitude is the most important thing in life. So, And then I came to Switzerland again in the middle for Andreas Caminada to make a stage there. And Andreas Caminada, who is he exactly? Also for the people who don't know him. I mean, what kind of chef is he? Um, what is his reputation in the gastronomy world? Yeah, Andreas is a great mentor. He's extremely invested on his, on his career, on, on his passion. He believes in what he does. He loves his country. When you are around him, it's like a sickness that you get contaminated because he's... So his belief in what he does is so true and so pure that I think one of the reasons probably that I felt love in Switzerland 
was because of him because he takes care of his farmers he he leads by example and he's always on top every day is the most important day every service every guest is the most important guest every carrot is the most important carrot <laughs> as well <laughs> so for the people who don't know him who may only see him in magazines or in or who don't even know his name yeah who don't because even know his name many people who don't know his name he yes. is a One of the best chefs in Switzerland. He's one of the best chefs in the world, most respected chefs in the world. He's uh, an example of good work, ethics, and uh, mentorship. He's a great leader, yeah. And I think he's a Swiss ambassador wherever he goes. So everybody in Switzerland should know him. <laughs> so you went to one of his restaurants because he has many, but you went to one? Back then he only had that. Okay. In Schauenstein for three years? Yes. So I started as a stage. Uh -huh. I left because I already had my plan to go to Massimo Vettura in Italy. But it was so much fun and my my life was in Switzerland. So we agreed that I would come back for a proper job after Italy. And yeah, I was in Schauenstein doing, doing kind of all the stations. At that time, a lot of projects started, like the NIF, the second restaurant was opened. The Guinness market started, the foundation Uchilin to support young talents was starting. So it was three years in which a lot of things happened and I learned a lot. So then you went to Massimo Bottura, who is again one of the best chefs in the world in Modena, in La Osteria Francescana. Yeah, I think I had this mentality of, okay, I'm older than everybody else. Because people in the kitchens, they do their apprentice when they are 16, 17. So I had to go to those places where I could learn more than only techniques or like basics, but also the whole concept. Why these places are not only restaurants? Why are they moving the masses? Why are they also involved in politics? Why are they involved in art? Why are they involved in music? Why is not only about putting a plate on the table? Because learning to cut and to make a broth and to to break down a chicken, I could do anywhere. So, actually, is is cooking an art? I think it's a way of expression. I think it's a a way of giving, a way of sharing. I don't know if you want to call it an art, but I think some of them are, are true artists. And is it the reason why you went to the best chefs in the world? Uh, was it a rational plan? I was wondering, are you always like this? I mean, do you always seek for excellence? Is it kind of perfectionism or maybe a kind of competition spirit that you have? No, I think knowledge is power. And I think these people have a lot of knowledge. And if I can learn from them, they could have said no. I tried and I got a yes. You always have a no already. No is always there. So if you don't try, and it's not about uh, elitism or it's just that I appreciate the work they have done. I know they started from nothing and I want to learn from them. It's a more of in the admiration and looking up to side. It's not about prestige or things like this. And after around three years, you moved to the US, to New York, where you worked for Daniela Sotoines at the restaurant Cosme. And what was your plan exactly? Uh, was it to go to the US, to this restaurant, or was it to work with this chef, especially? 
So in between, I, when I was at the Schloss-Schauenstein during my vacations, I always did stages. I went to Canroca, I went to to Fabiken for some days, or to Franzten in Sweden. But when I went to New York, I didn't have my plan to work in a Mexican restaurant. I was very uh, ignorant about Mexican food. So I went there with already a job at Blue Hill because I met Dan Barber, the chef there, through Andreas. And I started working there. And then I met Danny, actually partying, Daniela Sotoines. And I was going to Cosme just to learn about the corn on my days off from Blue Hill. And the opportunity to take up position there came up. And it was such a different restaurant from everywhere else. The amount of people, the amount of guests, the food we cook, many ingredients I never saw in my life before. So I couldn't say no to this challenge. So for the ones that don't know, um, Daniela Sotoines is again one of the most respected chefs in the world. She's been nominated the best female chef of the world in 2019. And I was actually listening to the speech she gave then during the ceremony, a speech that was really beautiful and quite emotional. Uh, I will quote her. She says that hospitality field is sometimes, if not most of the times, the least hospitable place to work in. Um, what do you think about this? I agree. And I think it's changing. Step by step, we're changing. Like One of my goals with my team is that they want to come to work. They want to wake up, they want to come here, and they feel comfortable here, and they are happy here. I don't want people working here who are not happy. Because we have to make people happy. Our guests are coming to get pampered and loved and taken care of. So how can you do that when you're not happy? So yeah, I agree. And I think it's changing, but it's going to take a while. She says also that I, I decided that if I ever run my own kitchen, it would be like the kitchen I grew up in, full of joy, happiness and community. Um, Did you learn this from her? Or was it something, an atmosphere that you already wanted to create in your own kitchen? Yeah, I come from another industry. So in engineering, as a project manager and in many corporations, these are values which are normal. Like you don't scream at people, you don't degrade them or be disrespectful. So I think the gastronomy and hospitality should look a little bit into other industries and take some of the values, which are quite basic, And people who are outside don't know. So for me, it was like normal that we respect each other. And I tell you why you have to do something. I don't expect you to just be a robot and do something. And this is what happens in many restaurants that they don't want you to think. But I think for me, the difference, I think, is that I come from some somewhere else. I have seen something else. I, it's not that I'm cooking only since I'm 15. This is all I saw. And what is, in your opinion, the role of a chef? What is your mission for your restaurant, for your business, but also for your team, your suppliers? For the team, I think is to let them express themselves when people feel like they are being hurt and a part of them, it's a part of the project. The team is stronger and for the farmers to... Listen to them instead of telling them what we want, the chefs. 
because they are the ones on the fields. And sometimes we're like, no, but I want these little things, and I want this vegetable, and I want... I think it's better when we listen to what they know and what they have and what's, what nature gives us and we adapt. I also wanted to come back to this topic that we were mentioning a bit earlier. So you are a female chef. We know that kitchens today are still mostly in the hands of men and that the majority of chefs are men. And I wanted to know what do you think is special about female chef? Mm. I don't like generalizing. Yeah, when you are in a kitchen all of men, there is a lot of testosterone, a lot of competitivity, um, maybe a little bit more less sensitivity. And like here, it's difficult because I've worked with men who who are not like that at all. So I think the balance is the right, the right solution, having both and letting everybody be themselves. There are girls who are more pushy than boys, and it's fine. Yeah, it's a difficult topic, I would say. And do you believe in the concept of sorority? You know, this idea that women should, like fraternities, help each other to be stronger. Yeah, I think women should empower women always. and. I always think that when you surround yourself with greatness, you become great. So you should empower everybody to be great. The more good chefs that I have around, women, men, the better. The more great uh, sommeliers, which are women, the better. I can do anything to help anybody to to follow their dreams. I will. And I don't think there's space for everyone. There's enough space for everybody to to shine or be brillant or brillant. There's enough space. But I do think, and the society doesn't help because we are supposed to have uh, kids and we are supposed to be at home and we are supposed to do all these things that we used to. So it's important that we support each other and show that you choose. Do you actually describe yourself as a feminist? I guess. <laughs> yeah. Being also an engineer, I was there were two girls in a class of 80 people and you're not expected to succeed. You're expected to fail. Like society will always try to take out the credit either because she's beautiful or either because she's friend of that or either because, no, you just work harder and you get where you want, like a man, same. But I do think that we have a handicap with society, just because the same as, as uh, like, where you background, where you come from, classes. We are all working on this. And right now, this is happening with uh, people of color. So it's many topics that are open, and we need to get better. It's important to acknowledge that we need to get better, that we all have biases. Everybody. Yeah. Um. So now I would like to take a closer look at the process that led you to set up your own restaurant here in Zurich. So if I calculated correctly, you did this after six years of experience working with some of the world's most renowned chefs. Was it your plan for a long time? Why did you want to have your own restaurant? Was it a need? Why did I want to open? Because I like to do things in my way. Also with my team. It was very, very frustrating to be working places where I couldn't give the freedom to my team or pay them what I want or what they deserve. So to be more fair in my opinion, 
yeah, like put my values in which I strongly believe in. Mm. So yeah, it was always in my plan. And it was clear that you wanted to go back to Zurich for this. We also did a, <laughs> a <laughs> <next> Excel sheet. <laughs> yeah, it was either we stay in New York or we go to Barcelona or we go back to Zurich. And Zurich was the strongest. Yeah. What were the advantages of Zurich compared to other cities that you've been to? Also, could, could you tell me a bit more What are the particularities of Zurich's gastronomic scene? To start off is in Europe. And I feel more comfortable in the European culture than in the American one. There are many values which are very different I didn't know before moving there. But I think Zurich is blooming, is growing, it's more open. When I was here in 2012, they were not the same places that they are. And right now, you go in the, on the tram, you hear a lot of languages becoming a hub, it's becoming an expat kind of place and you see more diversity. It's a long way still, but a lot of things are happening and it's in the center of Europe. Very quickly you can be in Italy, Germany, in Spain, back home. And I, there are amazing places, like a lot of people who I respect a lot, like one of my favorite restaurants is Cool, also run by a female chef, Ellie Foscan. She's such a, an example to follow. And also, uh, like Marcus Asrosi, Gamper, a lot of people who started when there was not a lot of new things happening. Everything was quite old style or places that have been there forever. And they started bringing things out, making a change, taking the risk. As I said before, it's great to be surrounded by greatness. And I think Zurich already has great chefs. And what are the particularities of the restaurants and chefs that we can find here in Zurich compared to the big cities you've been to, like, I don't know, Barcelona, New York? I think it's very personal. All the chefs I mentioned put themselves into the project, put themselves on a daily basis there and really give their identity to the place. The majority of them have been outside of Zurich and have decided to come back. So it's a choice to be here. It's not that they have been here forever. So they saw something else and they still want to be here. So they are really invested in what they're doing here. And what about the way you thought and conceived your restaurant? Because, I mean, you went to very big names, to very big restaurants. In New York, in the kitchen of Daniela Sodrines, I read that you were serving around 300 guests every night. And now you come back to Zurich and you open a completely different concept. It's a... A very small place, very charming, too, we must say. Um, you call it yourself a small neighborhood restaurant. Was it a choice? Yeah, I think taking challenges and doing things that you haven't done before also shows you what you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to own a restaurant which hosts 300 people every day. It's great for the money but it's not good for me as a, a host because I really like to see every guest. I also need my staff to be able to remember those guests and have a personal connection with them. And coming from outside, having such a mixed, mixed up uh, culture background, I wanted to have a place where you can see Zurich reflected. This building has been here for more than 200 years and these floors are original. So I think it's important to have a good base of the identity of where we are because we're bringing a lot of stuff from outside, like 
I bring a lot of Mexican cooking. I bring a lot of Moroccan spices. How would you describe actually your cuisine and what you're cooking? That's, I think it's like me. I speak seven languages, but all of them I speak them weird. <laughs> so yeah, I I think it's a I t- I like to take my favorite things from each one and make, and combine them in a way that for me it makes sense. Until now, people say it makes sense and they enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I could say it's a reflection of a little bit my personality and also influenced by my team because they're here as much as I am. And yeah, having a small place allows us to really feel like if people are coming at home, it's like a dining room. What's your favorite dish on the menu? Mm. It used to be the mole until recently. I have a kind of European mole, a lot of nuts and a lot of seeds. What is a mole? It's Mexican. Mole is hard to describe. It's a mix of cultures. It's a it's more than a sauce because there are so many moles. And in Mexico, wherever you go, they have their own mole. It's a blend of cultures. And in this case, we do one which we believe fits to Zurich. And right now, I'm doing a tamal, which is with nixtamalized corn in here in Switzerland from Masamor. And I would say that one is my favorite. It's like a corn cake with a chili sauce. And I, uh, I didn't eat spicy at all before until I worked at Cosme. But Danny tortured me with spiciness until I got used to it. <laughs> so, yeah. I have to thank her for that. And for all these, the spices, for the vegan food, vegetables, nuts, and so, what are your suppliers? What, I mean, are you working with local farmers, with... For fresh produce, like for vegetables and fruits, we work with local farmers, like Stefan from Brunner, Brunnerhof, and we have Alexander from Hofnar, which is actually an animal sanctuary that they are... The financial way to to take care of the animals it's by selling vegetables. Uh, I recommend everybody to visit them. They have the biggest pigs I ever seen. <laughs> They are very very lovely. So, and then also for like for nuts and things that don't grow in Switzerland, we work with Yobana, which is a fair trade kind of uh, supplier. For chocolate, we work with Ferklin. So we try to make responsible choices. My mom sometimes brings me spices from Morocco <laughs> when she comes to visit. So now that we've been through the concepts, the place, the teams, the suppliers, the kind of food that you are cooking, there is still one very important point remaining, uh, which is the finance. How do you actually finance such a project, such a restaurant? Uh, it was a personal investment. Yeah, all the money we saved in the last 10 years. So you didn't go to a bank? You didn't need to go to a right bank? Right now for COVID, I took the COVID-19 credit, but luckily I didn't have to touch it yet. So it was more like an insurance kind of thing that there was an opportunity to get this support from the bank, but the money is there, we didn't touch it. So we'll probably just give it back. So you don't you don't feel... Too stressed at the moment uh, after this 
Yeah, stress is always there. It's always a struggle. And now with the half capacity in the restaurant, we do half of the money. But as I said, I, like, I don't get paid myself if I can. And we are very lucky with our suppliers that they give us between 30 and 90 days to pay the invoices. So this is also kind of a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, being a business owner is always a risk. You have right now eight people depending on you for their salaries. So stress is always there, but it depends on how you take it. And actually, as a business owner, I would like to understand what does a normal day look like for you? If I'm honest, I still don't know that I'm a business owner. I worked for people for so long that sometimes I still expect somebody to come and tell <laughs> <laughs> you you're doing it wrong. <laughs> exactly. So I'm quite chill about it. I wake up. Uh, sometimes in the week I do sports. And I'm, I'm here quite early just because I need to do paperwork before I get into the kitchen. When do you get into the kitchen? At what time? Uh, the latest one. My goal is always 11. And now our goal is to even start later, so we work less hours with the team. But it takes a while when you open a restaurant until you have a team that is completely independent. A team, also kitchens have a lot of rotation. You have people who are studying, and then they work for you for three months, and then they do something else. I'm lucky I have Alessandro that takes care of everything. Like If, I, if he's in the kitchen, I have zero concerns. He's like my twin. He has the same values. He believes in what we do and understands and has amazing input. So he's my better half at work. And Bernd is my better half in the front. And my husband is my better half at home. <laughs> so, yeah, my day is quite simple. I try to do sports. It's always a struggle because I work very long hours. So to find the motivation to do sports is hard. But now I found somebody who's Helping me, a lady also. Your coach. Your coach, yeah. <laughs> Michaela, she's kicking my ass. <laughs> But, yeah, because when you're pushing all day and making your team go, 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 sometimes you don't find the strength to push yourself. Yeah, I am here every time. And on the weekends, I'm meeting at the restaurants of my friends. So my life hasn't changed so much. And for you and your husband, I guess you are never at home in the evenings. Uh, how do you deal with this as a couple? We have been together for a very long time, so uh, we have very, very good communication. On the weekends, he so usually passes by because Saturday, Sunday, we have brunch and he really likes the pancakes. So <laughs> he always finds an excuse to, to be here. And then on the Monday, Tuesday that I'm off, we usually have dinner together, but we talk every day, all the time on the phone which we didn't do when I was an engineer like when, I, when we talked less when we both had the same jobs and the same weekends because we saw each other in the evenings and but now we talk all day long and he's a like he's a part of the not of the company but he like helps us when something breaks or when we need support on the website because we created the website together so he helps us with everything So we are getting close to the end of the podcast. Um, but before we do, I would like to know what is your next challenge for the restaurant and what is your goal for the two, um, maybe five next years? So I would like to normalize eating plant-based 
the same as you normalize going into an Italian restaurant mm-hmm. or going to eat sushi or just to be a normal thing, not be scared of vegan because the word vegan brings so many stereotypes and so many crazy thoughts. <laughs> so I would like to eat to be normal and I uh, would really like to maybe open something else like a bakery or because it's very, it's very hard to find nice vegan croissant or nice be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now I focus on clay to make a structure and a team that it's independent and I have also a pool of guests that are happy to come again and again. Now I'm going to um, to ask you a few short final questions. First of all, what are you afraid of? What am I afraid of? Mm, like getting sick and not being able to do my job. Because this is something I can't control. Yeah. Finger crossed. Um... <laughs> Something that inspires you. Maybe you have a book, an artist, a place. And a place, probably anywhere in the water. Water always brings me calm. And I live next to the lake, but because I grew up in the Mediterranean also. But also the mountains. Like when you sleep over the mountains and you wake up 5, 6 a.m. to see the sun rise. Whatever happens in the world, the sun is going to rise. Whatever problems you have. Sun is gonna come back, and I see all these animals that they don't give. They don't care what's going on. <laughs> just also under the water. I dive a lot in my time off, so diving. So it's sports and nature, basically. Yeah. Also, I think diving is interesting because you are just another animal there. You are not a threat. I mean, with the animals on, on like on the on the mountain or. On, in our normal environment, we are a threat. But under the water, you're just another life being. So this is very interesting for me. Do you do this uh, in the Mediterranean? Yeah, the Mediterranean or in the Caribbean, wherever I can. Yeah. And my final question, who would you like to listen to in this podcast? Elif Oskan. <laughs> yeah, there are so many. Elif Oskan. It was quite a straightforward one. <laughs> yes, this is... She has helped me so much uh, opening clay and I really think we have we had very similar lives in different countries and we have the same beliefs and she's just awesome so please get her <laughs> <laughs> Okay thanks a lot you're welcome That's it. Our discussion is over. I hope you enjoyed it. To help me grow brilliant, feel free to rate this podcast with five stars and share it around you with your friends, family or colleagues. It's precious. And don't forget, as Izzy says, knowledge is power. A bientôt sur Brillante.